Welcome to everyone who's joined us from near or far, and thank you for tuning in and spending your time with us. You're listening to Faith Connection's Creativity of Love podcast, and my name is Sabrina, Program Director for Faith Connections. We are one of six Fontbonne Ministries established in 2005 by the Sisters of St. Joseph of Toronto as a way to connect with and minister to young adults. So as a Catholic young adult ministry in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, we strive to support young adults with inclusive places and events. Our programs serve young adults who are searching for ways to grow spiritually, deepen their faith, and build community. And we're open to all young adults, single, married or divorced, differently abled, religious students employed or not, spiritually minded or struggling with their faith, all. This year, We all find ourselves struggling with the reality of COVID-19, compressing our individual lives, and amplifying our collective struggles. Ahead of Holy Week this year, Pope Francis called us to look ahead in hope to the future while caring for each other today. He said, make a gesture of tenderness towards those who suffer, towards children, and towards the elderly. Even if we are isolated, thought and spirit can go far with the creativity of love. So what does that look like? creativity of love. What does it look like for a Canadian young adult? How can we prepare a better time in these days? This summer, we've chosen to take some time to listen to some unique perspectives on key Canadian issues and ask ourselves how we can be beside each other in love, patience, and action. Faith Connections Program Coordinator Erica starts us off today with a conversation with Tom Deerhouse to help us learn how to take our first steps as non-Indigenous peoples on the path of reconciliation. Out of deep respect for the Indigenous peoples in Canada, we acknowledge that Faith Connection works on the territories of the Wendat, the Anishinaabeg Nation, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and Mississaugas of the Credit First Nations. We also recognize the contributions and enduring presence of all First Nations, Métis, and Inuit people in Ontario and the rest of Canada. As settlers, may our learning today help us create and support true acts of respect and reciprocity. Well, Tom, we are very grateful for your time this morning, so thank you. And I want to know first, where do you come from? And tell us who you are. Okay, that's fine. Uh, I'm a Ganyangahaga and a Anishinaabe ancestry. That's Mohawk and Ojibwe. Uh, Born to Native parents. I grew up, uh, born and raised in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, Raised there until I was 21. Left there and uh, moved to Ganawage Mohawk Territory, which is near Montreal, Quebec, at the Indian Reserve. And uh, boy, got uh, got some work there. Married there, uh, got a job, and continued to work there as a as a counselor. I've uh, been doing it for about close to 20 years. So very involved in the community, and in the last few years, expanding, uh, volunteering my time elsewhere in the city of Montreal and in Ottawa and getting involved in uh, some Native issues as well. So we're here to examine the calls to action stemming from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. First, let's talk about language. What is the importance of language to you and your identity? Uh, I believe it's a key thing. When I was a young boy, I knew I had Native parents. They didn't speak the language. My grandma, my father's mother was around, and she was a speaker, Mark speaker. And when we came to Canada for a vacation and for visits, uh, I knew that there was a Mohawk language that was spoken. Little did I realize uh, that much several years later, it would become a key thing that I would uh, need to learn. I, want, I wanted to learn and, and in a way needed to learn. So I expanded my, my uh, just horizons, I guess you could say. And so within the language has a, a lot of meaning. And just you, get, you gain a perspective on the natural world and uh, your own culture and place names and spiritual things, spiritual approach. It's all contained like Toronto. It has to do with wood. Like Ontario means uh, a beautiful, handsome lake. 
Dakota huh. people language. Fascinating. A fluent speaker, taking courses, but I've got a great, and so I'm always learning, so I'm on that learning curve as well. As we think of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, what is the work that is required of non-Indigenous people as we approach the calls to action? I would start off by saying that the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and the, call, the report and the calls to action is an, an ambitious thing. And it's really like forming a vision, a dream, all these 94 calls. So where do you start? I guess my life and my work is kind of an example of what I'm involved in. Well, first of all, I work as a counselor. So healing and this reconciling within my own community amongst my old people is one part. The things that I volunteer in, I help, uh, I volunteer at called First Peoples Justice Center of Montreal. This is Aboriginal people in the city dealing with uh, the legal system. I guess it's a similar story across Canada that uh, Aboriginal offenders are, there's systemic discrimination, uh, racism. Look at the offenders in jail, it's a smaller population of Aboriginals, but they make up a large segment of uh, incarcerated people. And also helping uh, educate lawyers uh, non-Indigenous lawyers, uh, judges about so it's, it's cultural sensitivity, talking about the issues, residential schools, poverty, and all those kinds of things. So we're dealing in, here in Quebec, we're dealing with the three from the north, uh, the urban Aboriginal population. I also mention uh, an organ, national organization composed of Aboriginal leadership, clergy, and uh, I bring that up because we, we sent out, we drafted a letter to the Prime Minister uh, about reconciliation, and it kind of speaks to the call to action about a covenant of reconciliation, an agreement of reconciliation that may come to pass in a few years. Not sure what shape that will form, but uh, this national organization, if you care to look it up, it's called Our Lady of Guadalupe Circle, based in Ottawa. CCCB, the Catholic Bishops National. So this is like an educational component, speaking to the issues, it's linked to the TRC. Uh, that's a uh, second area. Uh, the third one, which is more like a frontline, monthly, a monthly kind of thing that, that can happen, is the Kairos Blanket Exercises. I got involved in that. Uh, my black friend, Aliso, in the Montreal area, was looking for uh, an elder. Somehow she picked me. Or she selected me. She invited me to attend, to do an opening, land acknowledgement, and to follow the script. And after a while, I found uh, it, was, it was good because the audience, these participants, the participants are mainly non-Indigenous. And in the snapshot of uh, an afternoon, uh, you, get, I mean, you get a snapshot of all the issues, uh, pre-contact stuff, uh, then the Indian Act, uh, the treaty system, residential schools, missing and murdered indigenous women of the present day. And so the, often at the end of it, when we close, the question is, what do we do now for, how can we be an ally? People ask that, what can we do next? What's reconciliation gonna look like? So it's these questions that we try to answer, I try to answer. So just some things, so that's a ground step. So to get back to your original question, it's an ambitious project, but everyone, every person has a little bit of peace, peace of that answer. And as a one man, one person, I'm doing a, a little bit, it's kind of, uh, what I, what I practice is uh, that kind of plate of action that the Jesuits are known for. They, they, they pray on it, they reflect on it, they do an action, and then they kind of evaluate how it went, and then they regroup, re-strengthen, and go out and try to make it better and, and do more. So there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of reflection in it, but there's also a lot of joy and energy. It's not, uh, not work like a workaholic. It's more that there's a lot of not needs to be done, and I just apply myself where I think I can help, and just like work and other volunteer activities. And so that's, that would be my message to the young people. In a way, you have to discern what your gifts are, where your skills are, where you want to be, and then go ahead and do that. That's a full answer. I'm wondering if you could say more about being an ally mm -hmm. for those of us who are non-Indigenous. Sure. I guess part of my personality is I can, I can make friends easy, and I like to see the best in people and bring out the positive. And I've got that curious mind, and I talk to a lot of people. 
some people might say I'm a busybody or just uh, nosy, <laughs> a little bit of that, but also just uh, to know how other people live. Because I have a unique situation where I'm working on reserve, working with my own people. And so I could be, I mean, I just have one, a one-sided story. But Montreal is so close, a large urban metropolitan area, and surrounded by uh, many non-Indigenous. And it's interesting to find out what they know and what they, what they think, and just how their perspective on things. And I'll go back to refer back to the blanket exercise again. In an afternoon, but some of the feedback at the very end is, well, I didn't know this about residential schools. Uh, for example, the last one closed in 96. I didn't know that uh, these students had numbers. I didn't know these uh, the little kids uh, traveled 10 hours by train to such and such a place. Like for us, it was a place called Spanish Ontario, Northern Ontario. So all these little things, and it makes, them, it makes them more motivated. Some of the feedback at uh, the blanket exercise at the end, they say, uh, how can we How come we didn't know this? How come they don't teach it in uh, Canadian schools or curriculum? It's all new. Uh, I didn't know that uh, these students had uh, actual numbers and known by number. And you know, I mean, just going to explain some of the, of the poverty issues, uh, uh, resorting to substance abuse, and uh, the ongoing trauma and intergenerational trauma. Uh, so those things. Uh, so I made reference to the title, talking about uh, radical uh, action. And part of me says, yeah, I, I do want to kind of shake things up. But also another part of me says, well, that doesn't fit for everybody. Sometimes I need just a gentle reminder with kindness and compassion that's not actually them that did the damage and it might not even be their their ancestors either that, that did that but it's just a matter of how about it how, how do we live together today's world modern times modern context there's different dynamics going on first nations people want to heal want to address the trauma i think part of them wants uh, people to understand that this is going on part of it is like a little bit of political a little bit of educational to honor the treaties also the the religious aspect if they if they want to uh, be church people and follow that that way, or what's kind of big and going to walk is this uh, nationalistic according to Sony worldview and participating in ceremonies. And just to add myself, I'm kind of unique in that way that I can uh, attend both ceremonies, church services, been uh, in the choir, singing in the language, but also uh, big on the ceremonies and using the pipe and using the sweat lodge and kind of incorporating all these teachings even into uh, a church service, into a mass setting, a topic of uh, enculturation, they call it integration of native spirituality into that. I've heard it said that responses that people have, especially as they're learning about some of these issues for the first time, tears, anger, and shock. How do you approach the different responses you get from people? Well, you're absolutely right. It's anger, it's uh, tears, and sadness. And that's part of like a radical shift that people, sometimes people need that to uh, awaken something in their mind to think about this, to know that it's happening, it's happened present. Uh, it happened in the recent past, and things present day are still connected to those things. Uh, so that uh, my response and other people's responses is simply invitations, suggestions to continue reading more about residential schools. There's a ton of resources and ton of things you can do. I just the other day I was reading the top ten top ten reasons or things to do how to be an ally. So I just skimmed through that, and those things are easy easy segments to digest for anybody to digest. You can pick up a book. One of the things was uh, read up on Cheney Weinjack, boy who read. Uh, called what's like the Boy Downey called the Hidden Path. That's one resource. There's, there's tons of others, native authors writing on the subject. You want to to go into the political, there's all kind of political and cultural things too to read up on that on what to do next. As well as the TRC and the actual uh, how to break down the TRC and report. There's like uh, child welfare, legacy, uh, the last half about reconciliation, and all these different areas. So you might find two or three that are really right right in your your wheelhouse right in your ballpark too, where you can see yourself uh, working on. So I, 
I mean, to summarize, be it to, to find an ally, you have to kind of have that gentleness and just a, a reminder and a, promote awareness of it. And in my case, I carry a lot of, since I talk to a whole lot of people, me being, being a busybody, I carry a lot of people's stories. And so I just share that whenever appropriate. And sometimes it's a natural. And I've gone into schools and high schools and exercises and uh, and do land openings. And it's good to circulate and get that in people's consciousness nowadays. And it's interesting how the, it seems like the front line, the grassroots groups are our church groups, United Church, for example, uh, different areas where you get invitations. And uh, it's nice like that. It's nice to do it that way. I like what you said, gentleness and a willingness to raise the issues. Yeah, yeah. Because we get that. Uh, if you come out like a radical and uh, really hard-hitting, harsh words, uh, people uh, tend to, to back away and not want to listen. But if mm. you do a little persuasion, a little bit of just lay it out there, and you're not blaming, you're not uh, really confronting. You say, this happened. And, and by the way, you know, my I married into a, a family that uh, both residential, both parents were residential school survivors. I married into the family. So I use that. Uh, with their permission uh, to show they've said some things of how, how they were raised and uh, they want a better life for people. So it's these things that happen. And uh, I guess in everyone's current mind too, on the reserve in Ganawage, the Federal Indian Day School issue is ongoing. It started in January and there's, uh, there's claims forms that are available that will be lasting the next few years. That's also part of my job. So if anyone over 38 years old has the same kind of experience of drama the only part is they were able to go home uh, after uh, this day. So this happened for years and years, and that's why, I guess, thanks to the people who uh, put up the class action lawsuit, they had, you know, that was the, that, so this is the last big thing, I think, that last class action lawsuit today, day school, and the trauma. So there is a lot of work. Uh, it's mainly internal work, but in a sense, it's good to know that to have uh, the other, uh, you know, allies to know about this and know this is going on. And, so we'll continue with language and revitalization and cultural practices and this way of looking looking at things to give credit to, to the way Ganawadi organizes itself its structures, band council and both the traditional leadership. Thank you for sharing that. I'm reminded of someone who said recently, uh, when we're tackling such big issues, it's like, how do you eat an elephant uh, one bite at a time? <laughs> it's, it's, as we're delving deeper, it's just reminding me how, how big and how expansive um, some of these challenges are. How do you, how do you not lose hope, or maybe you do? I don't know. How do you um, have hope in change and a better future? If you do, I don't. I don't want to assume. I never lose hope. Jamais. The French say jamais. <laughs> jamais, jamais. Uh, part of it is, I guess, when you get to a certain age, you have uh, you've gone through experiences that uh, are learning, uh, tough, tough choices you've made, and uh, just just a learning too as, as life goes. And I guess you got to put it in and uh, to know. And again, it's, it's tied in with the, the contemplative part, the reflective part, a spiritual approach too, that maybe one way didn't work, but you don't give up hope. And if you're strong in your convictions and your beliefs, then you'll do it. And also belief in uh, other people, and belief in that people are basically good, want to do uh, doing the best that they can, whatever positions they're in. And, some, and I'll, I'll, I kind of left out the, the clergy and the, the church leadership too. I used to be, I come from a place where, man, I didn't, uh, didn't feel like they were connected, that they didn't lost touch of the people. I mean, there's still maybe part of that, given that Catholic Church in Ganawagi is not, the population is going down. Uh, very few families are going going to church, and the young ones are probably starting just for uh, First Communion and baptism, baptism, First Communion, and then uh, confirmation, and then you don't see them until maybe marriage, maybe your burial. 
But I've come around to know that uh, we need the clergy too. That they have a voice. They certainly have you know, the educated, the academics, the, that that experience. And but it's hard to change the structures, right? It's the big structure. So it's you're back to that elephant. How do you tackle a big issue like that? It's one piece at a time, one one meeting at a time. You do your best. You try to get things on paper of where you want to go. And then it's a person's choice if they choose to accept this way of doing. So that's why what I'm excited about when they talk about covenant of reconciliation. And a little bit of history, which I'm kind of a history buff. A lot of people have had that. It goes back to uh, all this Lord of Proclamation and silver, silver covenant chain, all these agreements, treaties with uh, non-natives. But non-native people wanted that like father and son relationship. And nobody said no. It's more like we're brothers. We're equal on equal footing, this uh, silver covenant chain. And so that's the same kind of uh, philosophy and same kind of perspective. This covenant of reconciliation is not about higher and lower and all that. To be equal, and we're we're living together, and we're trying to do the best that we can to make a good life for everybody, everybody in Canada, and especially on reserve. And I guess that's why I keep working, like volunteering off reserve, and working with everybody. So that's when I haven't haven't gotten much exposure or experience, but uh, I'm enjoying that, and I, I think I have a decent foundation to, to speak from from on reserve and being kind of being a Mohawk. Mm. Yeah. Um. So how do you think we build acts of truth, justice, and reconciliation between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples? So we talked about that a little bit, but I wonder if you could touch on that specifically. Mm-hmm. Well, there's commonalities if, uh, within the churches, I think, and parishes is part of that. And is, uh, I would ask, is there room for Native spirituality in that? Some parishes I know in Ottawa, they have that. Toronto, I think, is the same. I think, what is the parish there? St. Anne's Parish in Chinatown. I, I, I spoke there. Years ago, it, just to have that inclusion, it's a blessing to have. It sounds uh, like we're begging, but uh, that native spirituality it adds, it enhances, enhances the service. And just like we need non-native uh, at our gatherings to share, perhaps we have a lot to share also in, in the things that we do. Not just church services; that's that's only a p- small part of it. It's uh, the actual ministry part. How do we serve? The food banks, is it educational, childcare, homeless shelters? Everyone can do something. We can't do everything, but everyone can do. So the, the task or the, the detective work is to find out where these young people can best serve or where they want to serve and how to form them in that mode formation and training. Could it be, could it be for ordained, ordained life, clergy life, uh, religious life, or, you know, we need doctors, social workers, artists, all these things. We all need that in a, a well-rounded society. Progressive. Um, you brought up vocation, and that's an interesting topic. I know, like as I'm sure you're well aware, and have journeyed with people that our young people are are craving um, the awareness of of God in their life and, and seeking um, direction from God. You've mentioned it a little bit, like I said, but I just wonder, how do you help a young person journey to a through a discernment process of of discovering who they are and um, and their place in this world? Oh, I wish I had more examples of how how that could be, but. Oftentimes, their, their parents and other, uh, just I guess the community kind of de- can decide and help them make choices. But I'll, I'll draw on one example, a young guy, I think he's about 13 or 14 years old. He wanted to join our church choir and he did. And he was singing for about four years. And within the last year, wouldn't you know, he got attracted to the choir, and wanted, uh, to the choir organ rather. He wanted to, to learn a few songs. So the choir master, who was 95 at the time, uh, did teach him basic, uh, basic songs of uh, organ is a Tabby Tekakwito song that he knows. He sung it, and then he's also able to play it, and a few other ones. 
uh, QEA and, and so on. So I guess, I mean, the way I look at it is you just sprang up like a, a young plant and we observed it and watched him grow. And he kind of decided on his own, this is what, this is the direction that he wanted. He came every Sunday, he came to some funerals. And now well, a bit of a sad part is our, our party director of 96 recently passed a couple of weeks ago. So imagine he had this ministry of 60 years service, never missed, missed a church service on Sunday, all holidays, all funeral, and he, he traveled about an hour each direction from the city. And that's dedicated, and that's the non-native, Mr. Bernardine Uhl was his name. I used to do my ride across the bridge. I'd want to drive him home, but he said, no, no, just drop me off at the bus station. Wow. Really simple, dedicated, exceptional man. And what I'll say about him too, he told me a story that when he was young, his parents took him to see uh, Brother Andre, Joseph in Joseph Oratory. And he told everybody, he told me, he told everybody, I shook the hand of a saint. Aww. Pretty cool. Yeah. He had this dedication to uh, Brother Andre, but more to St. Terry Takakita, where the, the remains are in our, in our shrine, St. Francis Xavier Mission. Uh, back, I'm dripping a bit, but I guess you have to observe these, these new plants that are, that are coming up uh, in the springtime, these new plants, and you try to nourish them, take care of them, and if they need some assistance, you know, you offer it. You give them many choices. And in fact, I don't think the community to raise raise a child, well, that, that can be, that can apply in this case to give them options. You do, you do have this, the spirituality, you have that, have that community-minded, how we take care of ourselves and take care of others. Well, that extends to everybody, and old, whether old or young. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, we've mentioned spirituality actually quite a few times already, but I'd love if you could share um, part of your spiritual journey and, and where your spirituality is at right now. Okay, <laughs> many moons ago, yeah, Detroit, Michigan, uh, went through the Catholic uh, school system, St. Boniface, mostly Trinity, St. Vincent de Paul, and then a college prep school, U University of Detroit High School uh, with the Jesuits. Graduated from there and went on to U University of Detroit, but dropped out of college. Uh, wasn't, wasn't meant to be an engineer or working on the So church was uh, an important part in the sense that we went to church on Sunday, a lot of learning, and just, uh, I, can't, I think it's that, it's that environment that also, uh, growing, growing up in a diverse environment of people, how we all try to get along, we're all in the city, trying to get along, there's natives, blacks, whites, uh, Filipino, Italian, Maltese, Puerto Rican, you name it, Mexican, Polish, the United Nations. And we all try to get along, and that, I think that carried, that stayed with me, and that carried with me, along with uh, the high school, four years, because I was the only one from my neighborhood, and my regular gang that went out went to this different high school so i was at that point kind of took a different path a good path even my my path of coming to ganawage that this is 94 i'm talking about i didn't know i'd be staying i just thought, thought i would help out some elderly relatives that were a couple that were kind of getting sickly and one was in the hospital and they still need someone to, to take so they offered me room and board to take care of uh, one one uh, my uncle or, or my auntie at the time either or little did i know i'd stay there and so a little bit of formation, the high school year, church was there, a little bit, definitely history. I'm going to walk in the mission, the Jesuits were there. I couldn't get away from the Jesuits, uh, French Jesuits. So a lot of history there. You need to find something to, to do, to work. So there was language and culture also, but I just wanted to help. Again, a learning experience thought that the reserve was like, hey, this is I'm back to my, my parents, my dad's roots. And it's going to be great. It's great. It's paradise. Better than the States, better than uh, the city life. But I found that it has its own social problems also, substance abuse, trauma, violence, 
later I found out, yeah, it's uh, residential schools and all these other things, parents not knowing, not receiving the love and uh, not able to give what they didn't receive themselves. Again, it's, it's, it's hard to kind of explain where the two met, Christianity and the native spirituality. It was all by invitation, all my choosing of where I wanted to go. But I hardly say no to invitations, but I think it can, uh, I can uh, gain some knowledge and if it feels good and believe in gut instinct, if it feels good and you can find a benefit and often share things, and that's where I'm going to be. And that's what I've done. And so kind of uh, me speaking to you is kind of just uh, another example of that invitation from uh, Sister Priscilla. Yeah, hardly say no. Yeah, it seems good. I'll do it. You have a real openness. Yep, that, that's me. Yeah, that's wonderful. What if, what if we don't know an indigenous person, Tom? Okay. Yeah. Well, you might be surprised uh, someone down the street might just have indigenous blood or native blood, whether it yeah. be McPhee or, or somewhere in their history, there's going to be Algonquins or Ojibwe's or, or even Mohawk. Mohawk's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but if you don't, there's different, oh man, there's tons of gatherings. Ottawa, there's summer solstice festivals. In Toronto, I imagine there's the same thing. I hear there's, like, there's a ton of organizations. Anishinaabe, uh, legal services, or there's legal services, but also health services and friendship centers and these kind of things. Oftentimes they have elders or people who work there that would be more than willing to share share a little bit of history. You know, given the right circumstance, they ask, someone comes to the front door and wants to know about this or something, some area, yeah, you can find them. And that's one of the, yeah, I made mention of uh, 10 things to do. It's to go find an elder and just try to learn their story to, to increase your knowledge. It's amazing what, the, what you'll find. They want to talk, and I think that's really one of their gifts. That's their purpose. The elders, like they've learned so much, and they're willing to share, and they want to share their life story. I'm thinking of one now from I know from in Ottawa, but she came from uh, Attawapiskat. Attawapiskat's been in the news for uh, for boil water advisory, but there's a residential school up there. But she became a nurse. She's one of the few that kind of had like a good experience, the discipline and training to become a nurse, and then she, uh, current present day, she still helps telling her story and. Uh, all the young ones of this so so we don't repeat the example I, not that it will repeat but just to learn from that to make the education part more accessible and to, to heal through the even though bad things happen in your life you can get through that with faith with uh, the help of other people you don't do it alone you don't grieve alone uh, and you don't work alone and uh, you're not so you're not isolated so you do it together so it's a matter of uh, in a way it's, it's risk taking just to introduce yourself to i'm so and so and even if you just say, you look, you're indigenous, may I mind if I ask you a few questions? And if you choose to do it more, buy him or her a coffee, have a chance to set or set up a time where you can, where it's more suitable. Yeah, I appreciate that. My next question definitely stems from my own experience. I'm a white woman, uh, married to uh, a non-Caucasian man, but I consider myself to be very entry level when it comes to indigenous issues and challenges. So I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. But I guess I wonder, do you, do you ever get tired of, of talking about these issues, of telling your own story, of working with those of us who have a long way to go? It's good. Every entry level is good. Like sometimes it's, it's hard to be, get into the heavy issue. I guess we've all been in meetings where there's an ambitious agenda or we've been in strategic planning and we have to think of the future and do those kind of things. A lot of brain power. But I guess life experience, that's, it's kind of a fun way and a, it's a relaxing way just to, to give a little bit of education. If a person wants to get more or receive more, there's ways to do that. And you can, even at your own pace, schedule another guy, another meeting at someone's house for coffee and talk over things or come back again another day and 
we'll talk some more. Any question? There's no no such thing as a as a dumb question. It's just a question. And that's why that's what life is about. We're asking questions and trying to get some answers uh, about anything, whether we want the ministry or church or school or job or partner, all kind of things. Yeah, so there's all all kind of ways, many roads to get there to get answers. You know, in, in in my experience, I've talked a lot about medicine wheel teachers because it's easy. I think it's a general thing that people know about the four directions and four colors. And I meet a lot of people who are troubled about the race part. They think, oh, I'm white and I don't have ind indigenous blood and I don't know where to fit out. Or even a different scenario where they're mixed. Say they're indigenous on their mother's side and they have a white Scottish. You know, they're mixed and they don't know where to go. They don't know where to fit in. That's fairly common, uh, what I've heard. And what I tell them, and I tell them a teaching, I heard several years ago, the medicine wheel had, also has like a dividing line, uh, the black, dividing the, the four colors. I said, that's a special place when you're uh, mixed blood. You have a special role, I was told. You're like an ambassador, a liaison between those uh, those ancestors or native those ancestors, whether it be native, non-native, uh, black, Asian. You have, uh, you know, that's your, that's your right to learn as much as you can about each. Be proud of that and to say, here I am and... Uh, even the partner you, partner you choose with. I would use myself as an example. I married a Moroccan Ojibwe girl. We were 19 years married, and then she passed away due to uh, just a heart failure. And wouldn't you know, I found love again, and it happened to be with an Irish woman. Wouldn't you know, she happens to be a great beater. She has a great attitude. We go to powwows, and she dances sometimes. I'm a dancer. And then uh, I'm going to explore her heritage, too. Her family's from uh, Nova Scotia. And she, just like a sidebar, she has, she has an interest in the Titanic. Halifax happens to be a museum there, and she wants to go there. Uh, maybe explore the museum, the Titanic history, and her family in Nova Scotia. And so I think that's, that's great. And that's uh, that, if I, we went together, I probably wouldn't have the chance to do that. I just uh, wouldn't give it much thought. But that, uh, she's learning the language, too. She, we both work at the Native organization, our community services, over 200 people, Native, non-Native. And... Uh, well, she's learned some language and uh, has to learn the beatings in Mohawk. So and I'm a speaker and I help her a little bit. All to say is life is interesting. Life is good and what you what you make of it and what, what comes to you on the, on the path. We're both traveling on this companions. Is that him, a companion on a journey? I don't know if you ever heard that. I don't know it, no. Oh, that's like a, we are companions on the journey. Oh, I don't know. The lyric just starts hate me. That's a nice song. That's a nice hymn. Companions on a journey, living life and uh, learning about life. It's a nice uh, a little metaphor. You ha seem to have a real trust in the path, in the journey. Yeah, and this comes about through again, I guess, through uh, a lot of years of years of living. When you get to a certain age, I'm 57, and just kind of applying what I've learned and teachings, and if it makes sense, uh, I kind of use that, and I guess it, it stays in my brain. And since I talk to a lot of people, I'm doing a little bit of like educating. I try to make it. To share that in easy ways to so people can understand so people can imagine walking on a path and knowing your purpose one teaching is that when your person a uh, child is born you know it'd be nice if the parents the old way of doing it was the parents introduced you to the natural world this native child and uh, that's the start of his his or her life and then you're going to nurture that and you're going to find out what his or her gifts are and it really starts with like a mohawk name Mohawk name and even the clan that you're born into, if you have it. If a person doesn't have it, it doesn't mean to say that they're, they're doomed. It doesn't mean they're, they're lost. It means that you're, you're going to gain something further down the line that'll, that'll help you. 
And it's a beautiful thing for people to get it even later in life. That is beautiful. So we are, as Sabrina mentioned, we are a part of a, a movement with young Catholics. So what does, coming back to Truth and Reconciliation, what does participation in the Truth and Reconciliation uh, look like for a young Catholic adult? I guess part of it means looking at provincial government, federal government, what their stance is, what their position is, what are they, what are they doing to kind of pave the way for that reconciliation? Are they doing it? Is it just uh, talk and no action or some talk and obstacles? Uh, but for sure, it's going to be a large, it's going to be a difficult, a challenging road ahead because you're also dealing with citizens and this, uh, you know, the wide, uh, like, for lack of a better word, called a mainstream society. They elect the politicians, they put them in, in places of leadership and to convince them that it, this is a worthwhile thing rather than, uh, I guess the worst case scenario would be people saying, oh, these native issues on residential schools, why don't they just get over it and get on with it? Uh, it, it can't be. So something that internally, I guess amongst native people, they, we have to deal with then externally, how to live together, peaceful coexistence, and all these principles that the Mohawks are known for in uh, the two-row wampum belt, if you're kind of familiar with that, how we're supposed to live together. We have our customs and our laws, but then we have natives also adopting Christian Christian ways, which is fine. There's got to be a balance, and so there's got to be some kind of way to, to make it work. And I think there, there is a way. We all, have, we all have that belief in the, the higher power, our creator, our God, and his, his helpers, and Things that we can do to make to make our lives really uh, rich and blessed and feels good, even in, during this uh, COVID pandemic and isolation. A lot of people on both sides are saying we should be doing our little ceremonies, our little prayers at home within our families to strengthen what we what occurs at Sunday Mass, to strengthen what occurs in uh, Strawberry Festival or, or Maple Festival, and smudging and all these things in medicine and resorting to the natural world, which is still thriving and even uh, coming back a little bit stronger, which is a good thing to see, less pollution and so on, cleaner waters and so on. So do you see a role for young Catholics to be advocating government, to be working with governments and calling them to be accountable for their actions? Yes, I see a part of it. If that seems to be their interest, not everyone, it's not meant for everyone to be, uh, well, to be an advocate, everyone could be an advocate, but to be really deeply involved and to make those changes, just as uh, Native people are becoming doctors and lawyers and, and leaders also, you know, it could be the younger generation coming up that's going to hopefully improve the situation on reserves and improve the situation generally in Canada, which makes us different from any other country. And we often draw comparisons to the states. I think we're, we're way ahead of the United States in leadership and policies and uh, how we see, but there's still, still work to do. And I think definitely uh, there's hope in the young people and what they want to do and their voice. People that are getting uh, in their 60s now, they're going to be retiring and they're going to be hoping, hoping for a good transition or like integration, they're going to, their job is going to be filled by up and coming bright young minds, creative, articulate, and just guided by this, uh, by their spirit and their mission to make this, you know, the world, the community a better place. And what, where do you see connections to the story and what you've just shared and other movements at this moment in history? Well, I talked about it in the Black Exercise about how we have to uh, educate ourselves and uh, try, to make, try to work together to do things. In a way, the the wampum, the two world wampum belt is the same thing that we're we're walk, we're riding this uh, river of life, and we're working together, and we're not interfering with each other, but we're living together. In a way, the more radical ones, the protests, I don't know more, uh, MMIW, I think they're all valid issues, still need to be addressed. Even the, just this morning, I read something about how Montreal does have uh, 
have a problem with systemic uh, racial discrimination. Women don't want to call 911 in Montreal because someone in crisis, though, they're going to send 17 police and P9 units to someone who just needs to go to the hospital and be talked to and listened to. These kind of things raise awareness. It's the method, I guess, that, that's hard to, hard to define. It, it seems to be ever-changing. One way of doing things sometimes doesn't fit. Like a cookie-cutter approach doesn't fit, so it has to be customized, especially given the diverse, diverse population. That's what goes across the country because there are, we have to acknowledge there's regional differences. Mohawks are different than the Crees, who are different from the Anishinaabe, who are dif different than the Wet'suwet'en, who are different from uh, the Soto Cree and uh, uh, the Treaty Indian, Treaty 7, 8, uh, West, uh, who are different from the Mi'kmaq, Mi'kmaq. But that's, the, that's where the challenge is. And I guess there's organizations that try to try to do that. AFN is a limited, limited to that political organization. The church has it, but uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I'm interested and hopeful that we'll come up, uh, we'll talk more about this covenant of reconciliation that may be presented to the prime minister. He may see it's time to, to do that, to renew something. Or it's not, it's not a new subject, but we're kind of refreshing and we're enhancing it and re-energizing it to be active. And the churches play a part of it, and definitely the young people will be a part of that history. Say a little bit more about the covenant, um, because that's tied right to the calls to action, right? Yeah, I reviewed the calls to action. Uh, I'm not sure where, it, where it's contained. I don't know the actual number. But they use covenant of reconciliation, and so it's it's agreement or maybe it's just a framework of how we're going to work together, federal government with First Nations people, reserve and even off reserve. You have to include them. I tend to forget the off reserve, but they're there also because of for economic reasons and just the land base and, and so on. So it's a way, a framework of how to how to let everything occur at the same time. Do do the the spirituality exist? The reserve reserve system and uh, just the leadership to practice the, the ceremonies and to allow and to work together, there's commonalities. Use any kind of issue, homeless issue, shelters. I think we could eliminate homeless, the homeless issue by if the city of Montreal and other organizations wanted to, to build a kind of a shelter combined with jobs and, and education and training. That could be eliminate, eliminated, but there has to be acknowledgement that there's actual problem in the first place, systemic. That's a, this, is a, this is a topic that's coming up now, systemic discrimination, racial discrimination. Does it exist or not? Uh, provincial governments say no, well, there's going to be a fight because First Nations people still say that. And that's across the country. What's that? That was also in the news, Starlight Tours that happened out west where the police pick up a native person, drive them to the outskirts of town and leave them there and hope they survive and make it back. Starlight. So that kind of discrimination, it's a hard, it's a hard one. I know it goes across, you know, wherever you are, sometimes that's your issue that you want to tackle and need to tackle because that's, maybe that's your purpose in life, that they're, one of your purposes to, to work on that, that area. I think, um, in terms of systemic racism, we very much want to take the opportunity to look at uh, the work that non-Indigenous need to do to become anti-racist. So I don't know if you have words you want to share on that, because I think that too often the work rests uh, with those who are oppressed, and that's not right. So maybe it's tied to what I said earlier about just a, a gentle reminder, a little outreach, and be inquisitive. I may ask a question that about uh, an issue uh, you see racial discrimination, because there is a lot of good work that people are doing everywhere, church and uh, creative ways. I think the Native people can, can definitely contribute if given a chance. And I know there's people of all faiths that are willing to, will it, of all faiths and good faith, willing to listen and uh, join in. And I think it's gonna, the change is going to happen at kind of like the front line, the grassroots, people doing small things first and then eventually getting into larger projects. But the numbers are, are a little bit larger and sharing the workload and so more things can get done. Regional differences. I can only speak a little bit about uh, what's happening around here, Ottawa and, and Montreal and on the region. I just remembered uh, there, was a, there was a protest 
all, all this while in this pandemic, we've had a sacred fire going on in the reserve when this uh, death of the black fellow, George Floyd, took place, or some of the Mohawks took part of that, put up signs, Black Lives Matter. And uh, that went from the reserve and even to the neighboring, our neighbors. So it's things like that that we participate in, just uh, be mindful that other things are happening, not just in it can't all be native issues. So if you take a stand for something, there's a commonality in that that we take stands. So one elder said, or many elders say the same thing, is universal truth. Sometimes injustice is an injustice. And Martin Luther King has said something along those lines. And then justice uh, everywhere, the threat to justice everywhere. So just to be mindful of that, and we can contribute to a method for bringing awareness and to change things. Maybe we can make an influence and an impact. And that's and then once that is done, or once your activity is done, then you regroup and it gets back to the, that contemplative action I was talking about. You regroup, you evaluate, pray on it, you know, make sure everyone debrief it, unpack it. And you try, try to do the same thing again, and you, you keep going. So I give, I give a lot of uh, credit to the Jesuits for, for that, uh, that formation, that those teachings, and uh, you can still apply it. So I, I give the clergy and religious people you know, a lot of credit for you know, they, they have the, the, that worldview, that history, but also on the front lines, and so whether their, their vocation. I think Sisters of Flint Joseph are like teachers. I think they're teachers or educators. So I give a lot of, and over here, it's uh, Sisters of St. Anne, the teachers. Uh, so whatever you know, calling they have, it's a, it's a good thing. So we need all of that together. You mentioned a sacred fire was started. Can you say more about what that is? I guess the Mohawks, well, I would say they've adopted the, this idea of a sacred fire. That's big in Ojibwe country for gatherings where you, you kind of call in the ancestors and uh, they're symbolized there and you have medicine there. <laughs> We've had this going, well, for a number of reasons. It's, it's very public. We have a bridge that uh, has like 200,000 on a regular basis passing by. So it's very public. The TP set up. It's mainly to raise awareness of this Mohawk issues. During this pandemic, it was closed. Basically, the community was closed down for safety and health reasons. So the, we chose to organize organize ourselves and follow uh, the medical health professionals and, and so on, like everybody. But we were able to close uh, the community down. We have a lot of businesses. They were closed down for for safety reasons, health reasons. It's just starting to open up now. But during this time, we had this fire going. Volunteers to run it. A wood and donations, coffee's being brought. So kind of a little bit of a gathering place for those who want to do it. And so in their own way, that's like a spiritual connection to, uh, because it's hard, uh, our elders are having a hard time at our 73-bed hospital. They're not allowed to have visitors, only outdoors. Because of social distancing, there can't be that many gathered. Uh, and also there's uh, an elders lodge, uh, 20 people. They can't accept visitors and they can't be confined to them. So it's been hard. But we're just starting to open it up. So in a way, and, and the churches are just starting to open up now, I understand. Our mission was closed down, our shrine was closed down. We even put out our Academy magazine that was closed down, but working from home. And that's starting to, our initiative is going to go out uh, in about a month or so. So uh, it's things like these are needed. So a sacred fire can be uh, for a family or it can be like a collective. So this is a, an important sign that we're, we're thinking collectively, that we're, we're watching over each other. And people in their own ways are doing, uh, are passing words or sending prayers. You know, a way to, so that's uh, it's a good way. Uh, I think it's a good way of doing it. That's a good perspective. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. A beautiful way to gather as a community to remember and uh, commemorate some of these actions that are going on around us. Yeah. Little things happen. Little things mean a lot. We had a little powwow, uh, maybe 20 dancers outside of our, our hospital, just on the street. And we didn't have a big drum with like seven or eight guys around it. We had seven or eight guys, each with separate drums, uh, six feet apart. And they're singing and dancing. That's about maybe an hour. 
but it brought a lot of happiness to the elders who are waving and blowing kisses and just uplifting. Mm. So we, we're really going to enjoy the time when we can get back and, and visit families, can visit family members who are there. I have a cousin who's there, he's about 87 years old. Yeah. Oh, we must have patience. That's another teaching. We must have patience. Our ways work, our actions that we take, our mindset, the way we think, it's going to pay off. You must have patience. No, don't rush it. Those are wise, wise words. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tom, before we officially wrap up, there's a quotation I'm going to read, and then I'm going to turn it over to you for last words to summarize. But we just want to thank you so much for your time, for your wisdom, for your words, for your compassion, your openness. We're truly grateful for all these things. Miigwech. Miigwech. More people say nyawa. <laughs> Very good. So before we invite you to share your closing remarks, we like to read this quotation of Melanie Delva, reconciliation animator for the Anglican Church of Canada. No matter what Christians do, we must not limit ourselves to the confines of our own ideas or imaginations. If we do that, we will always come up short. Instead, we must seek to be a part of radical, boundary-breaking, everything turned on its head, movement of love and justice at the level that offends systems of power and privilege. In this movement, wolves and lambs are best friends. Lepers dance with glee. The guileless wonder of children is heralded as true wisdom. And jubilee is realized for the poor, the oppressed, the prisoner, the blind, and yes, even for you and me. So Tom, once again, we just want to leave you with the last word and we just thank you so much again for being with us. Yeah, well, thank you. I'm struck by the word radical once again. Uh, but also the sense of uh, the words that say it's limit, limitless. We're not bounded by anything. So that makes me think of uh, the medicine wheel again. We have our physical bodies. We have our emotions that we go through in this time and other times. And we try to use uh, our best brains to figure out some things. But sometimes we lack maybe the spiritual. It doesn't get as much importance, but it's, uh, it's needed. We need all these four aspects of a human being. And with the spirit, we're not trying to anything. It's, it's limitless. We don't have, we're not confined by anything. So in our, in our, combined with our minds, and we, when we touch, look in a spiritual way of things, we can do a lot of things, especially the native spirituality. We can pass words. We can make things right in our own lives. We can fix things in our own lives. And we can pass words and help us to in present day, at any time. We don't need to have be in a building, a certain building. Uh, this is tied into like the spontaneous prayer, which I'm kind of big on. Spontaneous, but what's in, what's in your heart. So this is one way of putting it that uh, the medicine wheel teaches us to uh, keep that spiritual part in balance and make it a part of our life. That's good for every, every human being, both indigenous and non-indigenous. We need everybody. We need everybody. That's the other teaching in the medicine wheel. We need everybody in, of, of life. And even afterwards, when we pass on, there's another circle somewhere else. We call that sky world or heaven. We have our ancestors to help us out, where that's, uh, that's a powerful thing where we can kind of uh, invoke them and sort of tie to the sick and fire again or tie to the tobacco or just our heart. If you want it told, we can do it any time. That would be a good Our thanks once again to Elder Tom Deerhouse for sharing his stories with us and helping us imagine how to bring reconciliation more fully into our lives. For more on our Creativity at Love program or our young adult ministry, please visit our website, faithconnections.ca. And thank you for listening.